Well, before I continue, I would like to say this. I'm not a happy person today. Because last week, Melanie got all the encouragement. She got notes, she got letters, she got emails for how a great job she did. I've never had any of that. So she will not be coming up and speaking here anymore. It's so great to be together, uh, uh, just absolutely phenomenal. I just came back from Toronto and uh, was there for my dad's 90th birthday. And uh, going strong. There's a cricket term called not out, and he says he's 90 not out, meaning he's not yet done, and he plans to go on to live to 100. And, um, and he said, I have outlived my parents, and so you kids need to all outlive me. I said, I'm not so sure about that part. Uh, I have six brothers and sisters, and so it's always great to to be together and certainly come together and celebrate um, the family, and it's always so encouraging. But when you're there, you realize uh, 90 years is a long time, and one of the exercises that we did, we said, Dad, tell us when you were 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, where you were and what were you doing? And I learned something I didn't realize that um, my dad's mom got married when she was nine years old. That's what it was back then, nine. Didn't go to live with her husband until she was 11, 12. Think about that for a second. That is absolutely insane. And I can't imagine, a lot of people will be going to jail if... Uh, <laughs> if that were to happen here today. And, uh, and so it was quite a remarkable event. We continue on our series, Yahweh with the people. And of course, what we're gonna be doing is continue our story. We, we look for the first era that God created the world and the world that he created was a good world. And yet we, in our free will and our choice to do things, and our choice to be great messed up over and over and over and over again. God, in his incredible patience, waited with us and said, okay, these people need a lot of help. As a matter of fact, I'm going to try and solve this problem, if you know, and I say those words in quotes, try. He said, uh, I'm going to make sure that because of my holiness, man needs to come back to me and he's going to provide a plan of salvation. And instead of using the whole world at one time, he chose a family. And that's the family of Abraham. And then this family, it is unbelievable, this flawed incredibly flawed family. He did incredible and remarkable things. 
It's an encouragement to us. What can God do with one family? God made a promise to Abraham. And he said to Abraham, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. What an incredible, incredible promise. There was a problem. Abraham's wife, namely Sarai, could not bear children. He makes this promise when Abraham was 75 years old. And for over two decades, I wonder if Abraham started wondering, did I hear that right? But God repeated this promise on a number of occasions. And of course, as he did with nothingness, he made it into something and gave it meaning and, and it teemed with life when God created the world. He did it again in Sarah's womb. And when she was but 90 years old, and that number rings familiar to me as I think about my dad. By the way, he wore a suit yesterday to our party. First of all, that alone was, that, that was nuts. Except the suit that he wore was the suit that he wore 39 years ago at my sister's wedding. It was totally in style. You thought you would think he picked it up from the, from, from the suit rack last week. It was insane. It fits, first of all, amen. But it was incredible. But to think about 90 years old, my dad starting a family at this age, sounds absolutely, utterly insane. Some of the pictures that were taken is that there was not only my dad, but his children, not only his children, his children's children, and then his children's children's children were sitting on his lap. And it made you think and understand a little bit more how stories were told from generations to generation. And God makes a promise. Can he fulfill this promise? Can it become a reality? It took a number of years for this to become a reality. And so, not only did Abraham have a child by the name of Isaac, and then Isaac has a child by the name of Jacob, and that's where we are in this story. Interestingly, the woman that Isaac also married was also barren. She couldn't have children. And God once again reiterated his promise, not only to Isaac, not only to Abraham, but also to his descendants. And once again, God performs a remarkable miracle. And he tells 
Abraham, he tells Isaac, tells Isaac and Rebekah that your descendants will become great and they will be blessed through you. And so we pick it up, the story of Jacob. Of course, we cannot go through in detail, but there's a very important idea, and that's what we're going to cover today, the idea of Jacob and this idea of the birthright and blessing. So Jacob was born. He was born with another brother in his mother's womb, Jacob and Esau. Esau escaped, if you would, his mother's womb before Jacob, just a little bit before, and so therefore he was the older of the two siblings. When Jacob was born and Esau was born, there was a fighting in the womb that did not really end until the end of their lives. And we'll share a little bit about that in a second. But this incredible blessing and this incredible promise of God was going to happen through incredibly flawed people. This story is a story for us to understand not only about God's incredible ability to fulfill His promises, but not only what God can do with the patriarchs, patriarchs in, the, in the form of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but what He can do with you. Oftentimes, we look at this as if we're removed from the story. One of the goals that I have is actually put ourselves in God's story and find the relatability and see what God can do in our lives. But in order for us to, like we've talked about before, there are ideas and thoughts that we use but that needs to be explained further. And this idea is the birthright. Okay, what is the birthright? See, Esau had the birthright as the first son, which meant he would get a double portion of everything Isaac had, and Jacob would get a single portion. So what does that mean? So if there are two children, the older child will get, in terms of the inheritance, twice as much as the second child. Why? That sounds inherently unfair. I can preach another sermon on that, but let's, let's go ahead and talk about why. Generally, the older child is the person who then takes on responsibility when the father passes away, and therefore, in order for him to fulfill those responsibilities, you're going to need some more resources. And so, therefore, the older child, son, gets a double portion. So let me do the math for you a little bit, okay? So if you have four children, it's not like he would get half if everybody, all the other three children will get divide up the second half. It will be he will get twice as much as anybody else. So if you were to do the math there, that he would get there, since it will be divided into five portions, because the first one gets two portions. So I'll test your math a little bit here. He will get two-fifths, and the, the rest will get one-fifth each. So that's what the idea is. It's not like, well, the first person gets half and everybody else. So if there are 13 children, 
the first person will get two fourteenths or one seventh uh, of the ad. So that's the idea, okay? I know your head is spinning right now, but just understand the older child will get twice as much as any of the other children. And the idea then is to fulfill the responsibility that is given to you. Money is an important aspect of it. So that was what's supposed to happen. So Esau, being the older child, is supposed to get double the portion. Then there's the idea of the blessing. This was like a prophetic word spoken over the oldest son, in this case, the older son, because there are only two sons. I don't have to give you an English lesson as well, right? There's oldest only if there's three or more. Okay, all right, great. That had great meaning. It was a passing down of the leadership and the direction for the future of the family. And so the idea here is that the older child had an enormous responsibility that they'll be blessed by the father and subsequently has responsibilities that come with that. And in order for them to fulfill that responsibility, they needed the resources to fulfill the responsibility. And so this tradition became a part. Actually, that's, this is still, in many, many cultures, still part of the tradition that actually happens. Okay, it, it happens all the time. I, I know a family right now where the, the father passed away, has millions of dollars, and... Um, and tens of millions of dollars, and the mother is still alive. In that culture, the mother, the mother gets the same portion, twice as much as any of the other children gets. That's, that's just the, the way it goes. And so in that case, there are three children, and so she gets two-fifths, and the rest of the children, you know, when the estate is divided. And so I say that that's, that's not unique to any culture. It's actually what, is happen, what happens in... Um, in in particular cultures. Here's the problem. What's the problem, Tony? God told Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob will have be the one that's going to be through whom the descendants are gonna come. <laughs> what happened? A seemingly impossible task. Well, you will see when God says something, there are times that it seems impossible. And there's a recurring theme that happens that Melanie, oh, Melanie, <laughs> brought out last week. The idea is that when we start taking things into our own hands, even when God promises something, trouble is a-brewing. We lose control, and we grasp control in and of ourselves, and we get in trouble. Same scenario. They could not 
It's what happened with Sarah and Hagar. You told us this. It's going to happen. Let me figure it out how it's going to happen. It's got to be through Hagar. I can't have any children. I'm going on in years. Say, Hagar, you go. It's got to be through you. Create a whole lot of mess. Same thing here again. Did these people not hear the story? Of course they did. And at times in our lives, we hear the story over and over again, and we keep doing the same thing, taking matters into our own hands. It's what happened with Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob. And so we need to understand this story and learn the lesson, not only the history of God's people, but how this also applies to us. It's quite remarkable. Jacob bought the birthright at a moment of weakness. Think about when you've been the hungriest in your life. I'm not sure if this is a confession, if this is a boast, or what it is. I think it's a confession. After when I'm done, you might think it's a confession. So, 10 of us, I have some friends that I've known for well over three decades. We go golfing once a year. It's our guys together, okay? We go golfing. At the end of the golfing trip, I didn't have a chance to go this year. It's one of the few years I have not gone. Last year, rather, it happens in December. And after we have a big steak dinner. I don't mean to offend any of the vegetarians out there, much less the vegans. But we have a big steak. And I order, this time, a tomahawk steak. If you know what a tomahawk steak is, at, at Shula's Steakhouse, it's 42 ounces of meat. And I ate it all. I was famished. Like, we set ourselves up to the point where, and the reason I did that is because one of the guys says, okay, I'm paying today. I said, good. It's not the cheapest steak you can order. Let me just put it that way. And so I ate, and I thought, man, this was good. I was hungry. We were hungry. After four days of golf, uh, we came at the end and the celebration, and the person who happened to buy that day won the little tournament that we have. And so he was feeling pretty happy. Of course, he's incredibly wealthier than I am. And so, uh, <laughs> I, I, and so he's able to do that. He just wanted to give the guys a treat. But the point is, there are times when you're hungry and you're almost willing to do whatever. So we pick it up in Genesis chapter, <coughs> chapter 25, the story of the, the, ble- the, uh, the birthright and the blessing. And so in Genesis chapter 25, and what I want to encourage you is to go ahead and um, turn with someone beside you if you have... Uh, um, a Bible. I strongly encourage you to bring your Bible when you come to church. It doesn't have to be as big as Liam's, <laughs> where you need, you need like a pushing cart to bring your Bible in. I mean, we go to sporting events and we buy, we buy jackets and t-shirts and, and we wear stuff to sh- show our sporting pride. 
I think we will, be, we will do well to bring our Bibles to church. Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What's good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil soup. He ate and drank. Then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is one of the most pregnant statements in the Bible. And it's got so many children in that pregnancy. I want to just share a little bit of it. Jacob saw a moment to take advantage of someone. This is a very difficult relationship. I got I to gotta tell you. I struggle with it. Who's more to blame? Is it Jacob who took advantage of his brother? Or Esau, who didn't see the value of what he had? Jacob didn't steal it. He bought it. Interestingly, right? And he had a moment of passion. Well, it's interesting. This is not unfamiliar territory because Esau was a hunter. Scripture describes that. It's not the first time he's come in famished. But there are times in our lives when we so are overcome by our flesh and the moment and the sensationalism of the moment that we've said, oh man, if I don't get this, I'm going to die. And so much of life and decisions made in our lives are made in moments of heat and passion and lust of the eyes and flesh. In this case, this man was willing to sell his inheritance for some short-term gain. I am many things. And one of them is to warn. I'm an alarm. To wake us up. 
to make us understand that there's an alarm. I can, te I can tell you this. One of the most common things that we sell in my experience is 37 years as a Christian and thir over 30 of those as a minister. It, when it comes to relationships, and I'm talking dating and marital relationships. The, the lust of the flesh, it's amazing what happens. People think, I can't do without this other person. And we're inflamed with relationships. And it costs us our inheritance. Out of everything that I have seen in, in the kingdom of God, why people leave God, number one reason, there's not, it's almost a birthright thing. The second, there's not a comparison. It's choosing the wrong person to get involved in. And almost every time that I talk with those people, what do you think? They never want to know what I think. They only want my approval. And every time I'm asked, what do you think? And it comes across, it says, well, you don't, you don't want me to be happy. Really? You really think that that's what it is? I can't tell you how many people have sold their inheritance in the Lord for, for a relationship, for a stew relationship. And just like these stories, they couldn't see how they were going to get married. They couldn't see it. And devised plans of how they could circumvent the plan of God. I want to say this as most loving as I possibly can, but you are making a dreadful mistake. That's not going to cost you mere joy. It could cost you your inheritance. And I say this not because I've done it well, but by the grace of God, the most important decision I made after getting baptized into Christ was who were you going to get married to? And I think she was the prettiest girl, but it's not ultimately why I chose her. And that's what I meant when I said this, this, this story is so pregnant with lessons for us all.
we take jobs that squeezes the life out of us. We think, man, if I, if I just get this right, and when I get it right, I am going to be able to serve God in a wholehearted fashion. I've yet to see it happen. It's only for a short while. I've seen many relationships end with a one-night stand because they could, they sold their inheritance with their spouse for a lentil soup, so to speak. A moment where the lust of the eyes, the cravings of the flesh had to be satiated. And I warn you, Don't think you can pour coal in your laps and not be burnt. It's really important. That's the birthright. We're going to read a little bit of reading here. So bear with us. Chapter 27. I think you... You know how important the story of Jacob is? He had more play in the book of Genesis than any other character, period, even more than Abraham. There's more of the chapters in the book of Genesis dedicated to Jacob more than Abraham. So let's talk about the blessing. We talked about the birthright. Let's talk about the blessing. Follow me. Verses 1 through 40. I know it's a long reading, but hang with me. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he saw Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, go get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring, to me, bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was listening to Isaac as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice goats so that I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat that he may eat, that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man I, while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. This is a soap opera of gargantuan proportion. <laughs> so he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way the father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skins. 
Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father? Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and get, eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord gave me success, he replied. Oh, when people use God. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father who touched him and said, This voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? Yes, I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate and he brought some wine and drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. When he went and kissed him, when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Some people think it's cologne. No, it's not. <laughs> May God give you the heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be, the Lord, be Lord over your brothers. May the son of your mother bow down to you. May those who, you, who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. Sounds familiar? Same kind of blessing. After Isaac finished blessing him, Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said, Father, please set up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn, Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed you will, he will be blessed. When Esau saw his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright now. He's taking my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives and his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. And when you grow restless, he will throw his yoke off your neck. You thought General Hospital. <laughs> A lot of twists and turns. What are you thinking? It seems utterly unfair. You mean this decision was this costly? It seems remarkably unfair. 
God makes this promise. Mom and dad, mom in particular in this case, couldn't see how it could happen, took matters into our own hands, and says, I'm going to concoct a story and a plan to see it come to fruition. She has this elaborate scheme to bring it into fruition. God makes promises. And there are times that we can't see how it's going to happen. Well, let me ask. This must mean what God means. We start rewriting the Word of God. When it says, seek his kingdom first, he must mean this. We start redefining what first is, or what kingdom is, or what even seek is. When God says, you must deny yourself and pick up your cross daily, every day. It can't mean that, can it? We start doing these things. Oh, there's so much in this story. By the way, lest we forget it, this is not a prescription on how to follow God. It's a description of what happened. Let's never get sometimes confused what is described in the Bible as opposed to what is prescribed in the Bible. And this was prescribed not. It's a description. But in it all is an incredible exposure to the sovereignty of God when God says something it's going to happen. The cost that these guys unnecessarily made it was remarkable. But it's utterly unfair, isn't it? You know what's unfair? That someone had to die for your sins. You know what's unfair? That you keep an eye, when I say you, I'm in that you, okay? You and I keep trampling on the blood of Christ over and over and over again. I heard this statement, I'll never forget it until the day I die. I remember a preacher said, thank God it's unfair, because if it were fair, you'd be in hell. If God were fair, you and I would be in hell. That's the just punishment for our sins. And maybe this is a story that one of the serendipitous understanding is that as incredibly unfair it makes us feel inside, think how much more so it was about when the Christ went to the cross.
over and over again in the scriptures. At one time, through the prophet Hosea, he tells someone to go sleep with an adulterous woman. Why? It's just unfair. I haven't done anything. Now you're going to get the conviction of what it feels like when someone is unfaithful. And that's what it feels like when someone is unfaithful to me. The cost. The cost of this blessing and this birthright and this blessing that we define a little earlier as we wrap up today. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, if you want to know, well, Tony, that's your sentiment. Well, is that, what does God feel about it? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Hebrews 12, verse 15, says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Brace yourself. See to it, no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected even though he sought the blessing with tears and could not change what was done. Yikes! Esau is described as a godless. Some Bible says evil because he treated his inheritance with such flippancy. with some triviality. Oh, oh, the story. There's a warning in there. He started crying. And he still was rejected sometimes we think this is a game let's see how close I can get let me flip those you know those torches but you don't know how to juggle. See those guys juggling five torches, right? I can barely do one. It's like you've never trained and you're flipping or those machetes. And you're saying, I'm not going to get hurt. And somebody's warning you, don't do it. Ah, can't be that bad. I see somebody else doing it. There's much not only to understand what God tells us of Jacob, his birthright and his blessing, but there's a message in there for you and I. This cover-up 
that Rebecca and Jacob did was the, one of the greatest cover-ups in the history of mankind. But you know what was even a greater cover-up? Is the blood of Christ over your sin and my sin. That's a greater scandal. And when God looks at you because of the prism of the blood of Christ, he sees the imputed righteousness of Christ. You know when God looks at you and you know what he sees? The righteousness of his son. What? That's a cover-up. You think this is scandalous? What do you think of the cover-up of the blood of Christ over us? What do we do with such things? What do we do with it? There's some days I'm an, I'm an alarm bell up here. Some days I'm a cheerleader. Not a very pretty one, but a cheerleader nonetheless. And so we understand this morning, church, to not treat the blood of Christ, not treat what God has done, would not treat the inheritance as an unholy thing, to set it apart. There are concepts of this throughout the scriptures. One time when God was with Moses and at the burning bush, Moses says, I'm going to take off my sandals. This is holy ground. We set apart. We set apart our bodies for it's a temple. We don't treat it as an unholy thing. And I say this, you know why I drove through the night last night for my dad's birthday? That's a decision I made to go to my dad's birthday. No one else forced me to. But why should other people, quote unquote, suffer for the decisions I make in my life, namely this family? This is my family, my spiritual family. Decisions I make should not somehow interfere with other things. If I choose to stay up late last night and watch a game, then does this family of God, the kingdom of God, his family suffer because of your falling asleep in church because you stayed up late last night? So somehow other people suffer for decisions you make because you're, you're not treating God as a set-apart Decisions I make in my life. I've got to embrace them. And not blame like Esau did. Jacob stole my birthright. No, you sold it, dude. You sold it. You mean you've never come in from all your days of hunting, being hungry before? His impulsiveness cost him. And when he started crying about it, he was still rejected.
Why are you so angry? Tell <laughs> I'm not angry. <laughs> I just want to warn you. I saw this. It's pretty. I thought it's funny. Can you imagine? Jacob's Soup Company. So good, you'll forfeit your inheritance for a bowl. And so as we close out this morning, God says in John 1, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but of God. Do you understand what we have now? And that we too are descendants of Abraham, not based on any other reason, but based on what Christ has done for us. How ought we to conduct our lives now? Pouring laps in our coal, pouring coal in our laps. Juggle five lit torches. Swimming in a pool of alligators. Got to ask ourselves these questions. Do you yearn? One of the biggest themes that we looked at today was this idea of covering, right? Starting in the Garden of Eden. And so these stories that are so intertwined, that's why, that's why if you were to read the Bible with any degree of measurement, one person can't weave this story together. There's some of them we don't understand. I get that, okay? But the intricacies and the repetition and the stories that are being told is absolutely phenomenal. And so... We now who are born of God, not because of some decision of someone else, but simply because of what his son has done. I pray that this morning you've been enriched and encouraged.